Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 156 of Parenting in Real Life. Today, we have Joe Hashi from the Strong Family Project. We're going to have him and his wife, but he'll tell you about <laughs> they had a real-life family moment. And so we're talking to Joe. I thought we had a great conversation with him. We're going to talk about how they've really strengthened their family by doing simple things. Mm-hmm. One of the things I loved about this conversation is just that a lot of the people we talk to feel like, really smart and researched, but it almost feels like unattainable. I really felt like talking to Joe that they're just doing conscious parenting. I know that's kind of like a catchphrase. Or intentional parenting. They're being intentional, but they're like just being smart, right? Like they've just thought about it and thought about, okay, what do we want to actually do? And then let's do those things. And he's a business guy. And so he kind of brings that into it. So I really liked it, but I thought in general, it was really helpful. Yeah. So hopefully I think this episode will help you just kind of figure out or at least start thinking about what are some values that you want to have for your family and then do family activities that surround those core values, whether that's, you know, the sports that you play, the activities that you do, the vacations you go on, just how you run your day to day home just is around these values. And you can make sure that you're teaching the kids that you want and so that they start learning the things that you want them to be learning. And I think that's the intentional parenting that we kind of talk about. It's just thinking about how you want your family to look because at least we have found that if you don't do it that way, life happens anyway, right? It's just going to go. And so your kids are going to get older. So if you're not thinking about what you want to be teaching them, they just are not, they're just going to get older and not learn those things. Yep. Right. I think this is a good one as we're kind of starting a new school year. There's routine in here, right? Like, Let's establish something and then just do it over and over again so it becomes part of who we are. So it's a great time to think through some of this stuff with us and Joe. Uh, just real fast, I read a article recently that was talking about setting goals. And I know a lot of people have a hard time setting goals at the beginning of the year. They said, if you do it like a school year, it's actually a little bit easier to accomplish your goals because you have like a start and an end date. And it's not a full year, it's a little bit shorter. But if you have kids in school, this would be a good time to start setting new goals or setting some traditions or whatever your day-to-day looks like with your family and then just check in throughout the school year. And then when the end of the school year is done, when summer gets crazy as it always does, but you've had that, those like nine months of working on the goals and the things that you would like to do with your family. So this is a good time to start if you're looking to do that right now. Yeah. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Alan. And I'm Alexis. We had five kids in seven years. People think we're crazy, and sometimes we think they might be right. But most of the time, we love it. We hope this is a place where you can learn to be a better parent, but without taking yourself too seriously. Whether you're a new parent or have a few years under your belt, we hope you can find something new to think about. Or laugh about. After all, this is Parenting in Real Life. We're so excited to have Joe here from Strong Family Project, and we are going to be talking about some of the, of their elements and their strong family path, which we're super excited about because we are all about strong families. But before we dive into our conversation, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. And thank you so much for having me on. I, Mel wanted to be here. This is Parenting in Real Life. We had a braces emergency, so she's off at the orthodontist and uh, <laughs> honored to go solo with you. But my name is Joe. I'm a co-founder with Mel of the Strong Family Project. And we've had a huge re-emphasis on our family in the last two years. I was a high school teacher. I was a coach. I started a business and 
I found myself spending way more time on my business organization than I was my family organization. And things were out of whack. I was spending time on something that wasn't as important and neglecting something that was super important. However, along the way, I learned a lot from the business world. I was able to apply to the family along with Mel. And a few years ago, we made a big leap. We decided to move across the country where we know no one and restart with our family. So now we live on a side of a mountain in Colorado where we literally knew no one in this town. And uh, we moved from upstate uh, during 2020 and found a place that aligned more with our family values to give us more opportunity for kids to to grow and progress. And it's been a huge learning experience over the last few years. And the reason why we have a podcast and probably you too, is that we get to meet awesome people and learn more things from them. So we really appreciate you having us on the platform. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a cross country move as well. We moved, well, we went from Utah to Wisconsin and then back to Utah. So we know what it's like to go to a place where you don't know anybody, you have no family there, no friends, and you kind of have to start over. Well, that's very brave of it. It's uh, something that a lot of people told us, like, hey, like that's cool, but we could never. You hear that a lot. That's great for you guys, but not in our life. Uh, it's been very rewarding for us to hit the reset button. It was the right time of life. And since we had established our family core values, it helped us to, to the decision. Oh, I love yeah, that. I do love that. Cool. What are some of your family core values? I know that's one of the things that you talk about in your elements of a strong family. So what are the, some that you guys have chosen as strong family values? Yeah, happy to share some of our examples. What we really promote is every family is going to be a little bit different. Pick things that are awesome for your family that really motivate you and define who you are. There's a lot of values that you have like work ethic or good character, but just choose a few that you've based most of your decisions on. So for us, a couple of them are be genuine. We want our kids to be genuinely uniquely themselves. Another one is personal growth. So yes, we want you to be genuine, but be genuine isn't sit on the couch and eat popcorn all day. You can choose whatever path you want. We have one son that loves robotics and one son that loves sports. And it's just uniquely them. They both are very passionate about it. And so we want to see them develop and grow along those paths. So he's in robotics club and the library system here has 3D printing. So we went and learned. He walks over after school, does his 3D prints, come home, tried to assemble battle bots and things like that. While our other son is out kicking the soccer ball 30 times as soon as he gets home. And then he comes and have dinner, then goes out for an hour. And so <laughs> it's just, you can be genuinely whatever you want. You just have to work at it too. For, for And for us, we have show gratitude. We want to anchor our family in gratitude. We practice it every night. Another one would be be adventurous. That is part of our move across the country. The kids love that one where we'll yeah. say things like, all right, well, you know, what do you want to do adventurous this weekend? And they don't uh, sit on the couch. So they, they don't say that anymore. Cause I'm like, is that adventurous? Like would an adventurous family want to sit on the couch all weekend? And like, no. And then they get into it. And they always love it when they're out there. So yeah, it's not yeah. like they, they, they don't enjoy it. Be personally accountable is one, which we talk about all the time when we have inner child conflict or a child does something. We had it the other day where their kids were out just playing with rocks, just like smashing them, smushing them against other rocks and making a big pile of smaller rocks. One of my sons went to throw one off. The other one missed it, went down the hill, crossed the driveway, hit my truck in the windshield and shattered my windshield. Oh, no. And he didn't try to hide it. Hey, you know, I, I broke your windshield. I was throwing some rocks. Here's what happened. It wasn't like trying to blame his brother. It wasn't anything else. Like, all right, well, then let's come up with a solution and get it fixed. And so we, we choose things that 
both anchor our, our family, but also the kids use as a filter when they're looking for people to hang out with. They want to hang out with people that are also adventurous, that are also trying to develop themselves, that are also show gratitude and humility in situations. And so we try to teach that when we're doing the ever important you are kind of who you hang out with discussions with them. I love that last one. Personal accountability. Personal accountability. Our kids struggle with that one. <laughs> I think we, we have all a struggle lot of with it. Pointing <laughs> yeah. fingers and stuff. So I love that as a core value of yours, though, because I'm sure that means you're talking about it a lot in your home in a way that's productive, not just like while it's happening. Because like happening, because I feel like that's what happens with us. Is like they're like, no, he did it, she did it, and then we're trying to teach them like in the moment, and it doesn't usually go very well. Own it. <laughs> yes, we have a, a fairly calm household. And the kids know that if they are accountable, we can move to solution-oriented discussions faster versus trying to figure out who did what. And they, they've learned to not like those discussions because it never <laughs> ends up in their favor. So they're like, hey, just be accountable so then we can get to solutions to move it forward. But you're absolutely right. At the beginning, there was a little bit of like, oh, no, they did it. We would actually like sneak our phone out, like record like, hey, hey, do you want to listen back to what you sound like right now? And they're like, oh, no, I wasn't being accountable. I was blaming someone else. And they get a little... Okay, well, then let's move back to come up with a solution for this. I yeah, love that. I like that, too. I think the recording is a good idea. Because <laughs> I'll just be like, can you hear yourself right now? And they're like, they don't. Oh, no, I they don't. <laughs> I learned that from being a teacher. That Another friend of mine who was an expert teacher, who's was a great teacher, said, you want a humbling experience? Record yourself teaching a class. And then you look mm -hmm. back, like, oh, I learned so much on these, these gaps that I don't see when I'm doing it. So it's not just a child thing. Like, we all kind of have these blind spots. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know. Yeah, I think sometimes when I'm talking to my kids and I think like, oh man, I don't think my tone is very good <laughs> right now. Even though I'm like not trying to be upset or angry, but I can like kind of hear myself like, oh, I just need to work on that. Anyway, but I think you're right. It's not just the kids. It's the parents too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll for reflect sure. back on it. Mel is excellent at this. Sometimes she does in the moment get a little bit flustered when she's trying to solve these kid issues. And then the next day she'll say, hey, I, I don't really like how I reacted when you told me this thing here's how i should have reacted and she role models it for him in a very good way i like that you say the next day because i feel like sometimes in the moment i have the presence of mind to be like ah crap that was bad let me take a step back but a lot of times it does take me some time sometimes sleeping on it to be like not only do i realize i did it wrong but i'm ready to do it right <laughs> you know <laughs> that's sometimes a very good way of i like how you, how you said it right there Mel taught this to me because I like to solve things right away and, and just move on. And sometimes she's got to give it space. She uh, always writes it down. So you have to like not let it linger. Uh, yeah. But sometimes it's even more impactful. Like kid does something. You're like, I'm not sure how to react to that right now. I'm going to talk to you about it tomorrow. And like yeah. letting them dwell and think on it a little bit and, and coming up with how they interpret it a little bit. And it's a business thing that involved in a lot of negotiations and it's the lowest heart rate wins. We're at a table or negotiating something. The person that's getting all flustered is usually like almost out of the negotiation. They've lost control and they get ignored by the other people in the room. Same thing happens with parenting-child relationships. Someone's getting flustered. Their point's not going to get across anymore. So we use that language with the kids. Hey, we got to get our heart rates down before we finish this discussion. Yeah, some good insights. Yeah. So I know you talked about like helping your kids progress. And I know that one of the things you talk about is confidence-building goal-setting systems. So tell me more about that. How do you set goals with your kids? 
Well, first, I love also from your Instagram how you have a lot on chores and like helping them feel accomplished and progress. And some people have a negative connotation towards chores. And I think it is important to use the right language in the household because progress and and hard work are good things. I believe that helps the mental health of children versus like always having things done for them. Like, yeah, it's convenient, but it's not great for them upstairs to say, I can't contribute to this family in a meaningful way that I need to have everything handed to me. Or I don't set goals like my parents to get back to your point. We have a a goal setting system. We do our annual goals. So once a year in January, we'll sit down and we'll draw a picture of what we want to accomplish because our kids are 13, 11, and 5. And so including Mel and I, we'll do the same thing. We'll draw a picture of four or five things we want to accomplish this year. One of our son wants to do archery elk hunting, so we drew a picture of, of that. One of our sons wanted to be a part of this podcast. We drew a little po- picture podcast headphones, and he's been, him and his brother have been recording episodes on the side. And so we nice. do an annual drawing, and my wife laminates them because she's good with this stuff and puts them up on the wall. And then every week at our family meeting, we make a weekly commitment, something we're going to do this week that moves us towards those goals. Otherwise, they're just dreams and aspirations, which are good to have. But unless you actually have some planning steps, a year will pass and you won't have them done. And so with the example of elk hunting, so he wanted to go out on elk. I don't think we'll ever get one. We'll just take nature walks with our bows and arrows, but that's great, great for me too. I enjoy that stuff. And so it was, all right, well, it's going to be critically important that you learn how to shoot very well. So we're not going to go out and injure an animal. We're just not going to do that. And going to get your, your, your bow and arrow set up the target. Once you hit the target 10 times in the middle, we'll up the poundage. And then that's what his goal was. His commitment for the week was shoot 10 shots every day, something small. And then we'll evaluate at the end of the week. Hey, you need some more work on it. I'll, okay. I'll do 10 shots this, this week, every night until we turn it up a little bit until he's hitting it regularly at the appropriate poundage so that when the season comes around, he'll be able to be successful. So we have our annual goals and we break it down to here's what we're going to do this week. And those commitments can change every week, but that's one example of it. Other son loves pull-ups, <laughs> big pull-up guy. And I do understand why for my 40th birthday, we do celebrations a little differently. We try to make a memory on that day. So I wanted to do 4,140 pull-ups for my 40th birthday because I was always a heavier kid. I could never do them in high school. I always got a zero on the presidential fitness test, like nothing. And so I trained for like six months and I got it. And then he was turning 10 that year. And he's like, all right, well, I'm 25% your age. So I want to do 1,010 pull-ups on my 10th birthday. That just doesn't happen. And so his weekly commitments, like he would do 25 pull-ups when he first woke up for like three weeks. And then he would do a hang for a while. Then he would do hangs at the top for a while. He'd progress through it and he, and he did it. It took like six hours. He did his, <laughs> did his pull-ups, but we'd like to set the big picture of one year. I'm not great at like 10-year visions. Even in business, things change so fast. It's tough for me to yeah. put a finger exactly on that. But I know what I want to accomplish this year. And so yeah. do the kids. And then they'll break it down to weekly commitments and it allows them to change it week to week, which is important. It's like, all right, well, let's say I want to do a thousand pull-ups. So I'm going to do a hundred a day for a year. Well, no one ever sticks to that goal. That's why resolutions always fail. It's just too hard to plan for a full year. And so we do it week by week after that. Yeah. I love the weekly check-in because I'm totally a goal setter. I love it. And I have all my goals at the beginning of the year and I am so bad at going back and checking on them. And then the yeah. year goes by and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of things I didn't yeah. do. <laughs> that I wanted yeah, to same. Do. Yeah. We, we learned that method from a living in a deficit. I think that's even that weekly meeting, I think has got to be hard, right? Like it's got to become a habit because it's so easy to just be so like minute to minute mm-hmm. in life with kids. 
we try and have a weekly family meeting and it is something you have to really commit to because that time flies by if you don't, if you don't make it happen. Yeah, exactly. We do, I guess it's from atomic habits. We do habit stacking. So ours is Saturday at dinner. So we have dinner, which we are going to have on Saturday. That will be the time we also do. It's not like a separate time where we like 7 PM on a Tuesday, like that's not going to happen all the time. Life gets in the way. We're probably three out of every four. Every once in a while, something will come up late soccer game or something. And we won't get it in, but the kids do miss it now that we've set it as a routine because that is their opportunity to tell us what's going on in their lives, to ask their questions. We discuss tech time and tech usage. We'll discuss our goals and they'll make their commitment. So they actually look forward to it now. That's awesome. I love the doing it at dinner time. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Cause like you said, that's something that you're going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you gotta eat. I think yeah, we try to do it like exactly. Sunday afternoons and that doesn't always work. So yeah. doing it with a meal is a good idea. Yeah. Work, it's, it's worked out well and uh, the kids yeah. have responded well to it. Even our five-year-old has little jobs during the, I don't want to say little jobs. It speaks down to it. He has jobs during the family meeting because we want them to feel like they're part of a high performance organization. We don't want the first organization they're part of wherever they get a job and they don't have any experience working in a meeting setting or being heard or speaking up or advocating for something that they want us to do. Yeah. I know you also talk about evening meetings. So what's the role of the evening meeting compared to the weekly meeting? That's an interesting one. I wish Mel was here to explain this one. So we have the evening debrief. And so the family meeting, we have dinner time conversation. She insisted on having this on the path. And it makes a lot of sense once she explained it, which is when the kids are comfortable in their own environment, in bed, after their nighttime routines, that's when conversations tend to come up. She was a social worker and would do therapy appointments. She specialized in assisting victims of sexually abused children. And they would call them doorknob conversations. Like you'll sit there for an hour and not much comes up. And then you reach for the doorknob end of meeting. And then the big thing will come up. And then she's got to use that. To, all right, go back in. And then, yes, she wants to go to bed. And yes, she wants to finish up for the day. But by naming it with some vocabulary, she goes back in and then has the conversations the kids want to have. And so it could be fifth grade. It's like the year they watched the puberty video and that's on their mind or whatever else is going on. Like when they're comfortable in their own environment with their stuffed animals, depending on their age, like that's when they feel they can bring up those more sensitive topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I have found that with my kids too, that bedtime is when they seem to be more calm, but all of a sudden their mouths are just going like, they want to oh. tell you all the things about the day. And you're <laughs> sometimes it can be hard. Cause I'm like, I just want you to go to sleep now. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. Do you put like a time limit on that or anything? Or do you just let them talk? Or what's kind of how do you work around that? Just let them talk. Just let them talk. <laughs> yes. Talk. Uh, Mel handles a lot of it. Sometimes, like usually she'll be up at like nine. We're early to bed people. I'm tired. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Like I have to go to bed 930. We get up at 530 because then we have like half hour of time together. That's like our date time almost before the kids get up. But yeah. sometimes she'll be up at nine. Sometimes it's 930 on some nights. It's, it's rare, but it's important for the kids because they're telling you something that they may never feel comfortable talking to you about again, whether it's like I said, the puberty video is a big thing for a week we had to talk about or like what they heard their friends say at school. They want to see what we think about that. It doesn't happen that often. Maybe once a month, it's a, it's a longer night conversation, but she's excellent at just staying until it's talked out. Do you take turns with going to each of your kids like in their, their rooms? I don't know if you go by like age or something like that, but how do you get to each of them? 
Yeah, so the older two share a room. We have enough rooms, but they just love they have bunk beds. They love to share a room, so they're they're two two at once, two for the price of one at that check in. <laughs> and then the five year old goes to bed a little bit earlier. So Mel usually go in, read to him, do the nightly prayer, tuck him in. He's all good. They either read or listen to an educational podcast, so they're doing that in their room during that time. And then she'll go over and uh, wrap up the night with them. And I've done it a few times, but honestly, she wants to do it more. Like that's her big connection time. And she knows it's huge value for the kids. So like I can do it with her or she'll do it, but like she doesn't not want to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome that your oldest two like to share a room. Our boys share a room and they do not like it. So hopefully we get to that point. Yeah, I think the other one wants to move in. So we'll have like two or three empty bedrooms and three kids in one room because they're always up to their shenanigans in the evening. That would be amazing. (laughs) Well, this has been awesome, Joe. It's really clear. And I think we've seen this too. A lot of these things feel so daunting, right? Because like organically, family life is kind of wild. And even when you're working really hard, it can be really wild. But it's amazing how if you give kids structure and create a system for them and then stick to it for a minute, there's always that initial like friction. Oh, for sure. But then they kind of like, they get used to it. I think the example for us is almost every year now in the late winter, everybody's getting cabin fever and going crazy and they just want to watch screens and fight all day. And so we have said like, okay, we're going to do no screens for a period of time. We've done a week, we've done a month and it's amazing how the first few days are just agony. And then you start to create these systems and they find new things to do and they get past it. And as long as you're consistent, it's good. And then once you crack, they're really quick to, to fill the gaps. And they, they look for that stuff. And the credit to you for going for a month with it. We just implemented none on Thursday after school because nice. it was getting to be too much. I think the key is, yes, it seems daunting, but we use a concept called constant gentle pressure. Like just make tomorrow a little bit better. It doesn't have to go from zero to 60. And we just use calm vocabulary. They'll come in, oh, I'm bored. So, well, that sounds like a you problem. I'm not bored. And so (laughs) how would you solve that? And it is a book, a technique from Comfort Crisis, a book by Michael Easter. And boredom is powerful. On the other side of boredom is creativity. And like you said, Alan, like in that boredom, that's the tough friction. So they actually, I shouldn't sound so harsh. They have a bored board. Like they sat down when they weren't bored. They wrote down 30 things they could do when they are bored and they feel boredom. And so, yeah, it's a couple of minutes of complaining. Well, you have your resource. You can solve it for yourself because I'm doing well right now. <laughs> Teach them some independence. They have the resource because we taught them that. And then they do the creative things and then we celebrate them for doing those things that get their creativity out. And then they, they start to do it more often. Yeah. yeah. I love the board board idea. I think especially before they get to that point, come up with ideas of things they can do. Cause we definitely have the kids some more than others who are just like, can't think of anything to do. And if I give them any ideas, they just shut it all down. <laughs> and so if they have their own list, then we can refer back to that and say like, Hey, find something on your list to do. So yeah. I love to have that written out and available for them. Our communication style is very dry with them about it. They, they get it that we're busting their chops. Like we're not doing it in a mean way, but I'm just not going to say a lot of words to them to entertain them thinking that they can argue their way through it. So yeah. we'll just say, Hey, 
do you want me to solve that problem or do you want to solve it yourself? And then they realize like, oh no, I want to solve it. Like I would rather come up than my like, hey, why don't you go shovel the yard or something? I don't know. Right. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll go make a puzzle or I'll go do a drawing instead. Okay, well, then you solved it yourself. <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, Joe, you've had so many good nuggets. And so it's clear that, that you guys have a ton of good stuff to share. If our listeners want to find you all, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, the best place is right on the website, strongfamilyproject.com. And I appreciate you bringing up the path. We just give it away for free. You can just put in your email, download the path. You can see Mel and my notes on it and you can get started with it. And like you said, Alan, it does seem really daunting and just choose one thing to do for the next three months, make that work and then choose something else and then slowly progress instead of trying to do it all at once. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. This has been great. And I do want to thank you both for having us on. These are very brief discussions with other parents, but I, I learn a lot as well. And I can tell from how you guys look at each other and communicate and smile a lot. You're doing a lot of great things. And so I'm looking forward to following along with your journey as well. I know we've connected on social media and I yeah. love how you elevate your children through giving them value and doing chores and contributions to the house. I think it's really smart. So thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for putting out such great content. Yeah, well, thank you. Hopefully, it. we can meet Mel someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mystery microphone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Parenting IRL Podcast or find us on our website at parentinginreallife.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to tell a friend. That's the best way for people to find out about our podcast. And if you haven't already, give us a rating. And a special thanks to our five kids for being kids. <laughs>